Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Opera After Dark. <laughs> you sound like a lost boy. That was my, I don't have any sort of other reference for roosters, so. Yeah. Thank you. That's fair. That was my goal. That was a, that is a important movie of our childhoods, I feel, so. Hook? Hook. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a big fan of Hook. Good. Bangarang. Come on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever good... happened to Rufio, right? Rufio. Ru- oh. <laughs> Whatever happened to that guy? Wow. We really, no, we really struck a I chord do... <laughs> here. <laughs> I do know that he was in a movie many years later, I think called Extreme Days, with like an X instead of... Like oh. EX, which is like oh. extreme days. Extreme. And it was basically like a two hour movie that was just like snowboarding montages that had a weird Christian theme at the end. It was very surprising. Oh, that's Rufio strange. was in that. Oh. Fine. Look it up. I'm going to look it up right now. Huh. Rufio. Rufio. Well, oh. For anyone, I, I guess by now you know what we're talking about because you've seen the title. How could you possibly, though? Because they've seen the title of the episode on their podcast mm-hmm, listening mm-hmm. app. But yes, the the rooster sound is because we're talking about the golden cockerel. We're talking about the golden cockerel by Rimsky-Korsakov. To be honest, um, um, before yeah. today, I didn't know that that was an opera. Well, do you know anything about Rimsky-Korsakov? A little bit. But mainly, like, what was the most famous thing that Rimsky Korsakov ever wrote? What do you know, Kyle? I couldn't tell you, but I think when I was in college, a choir that I was in did a Rimsky Korsakov, Korsakov, Rimsky, Korsakov. Yeah, Korsakov. Yeah, I think we did uh, something by Rimsky Korsakov, but I couldn't tell you what. Well, I would argue. Actually, I think we did a thing called like Alexander Nevsky, something or other. Because that's like a big, prominent hero, like war hero, I think, for Russians, is Alexander Nevsky. Well, that I don't know. But Korsakov, Rimsky-Korsakov, is basically known for writing a lot of, like, um, nationalistic kind of, like, Russian folk music. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of, like, Mm -hmm. what he's known for. Um, And people sort of see him as the bridge from, like, Mussorgsky, who was before him, Mm -hmm. and Stravinsky, who was after him. Like, Rimsky-Korsakov is the bridge between those two sort of musical forms. He's also considered like the grandfather or the father of the Russian Five or the Mighty Handful. The Mighty oh, Handful. Yes. Do you want to talk about them a little bit? Talk about the Mighty Five. Sure. So the Mighty Five or the Mighty Handful, mm-hmm. however you like to translate the Russian, um, they were a group of five composers that were kind of led by Rimsky-Korsakov. This in, is in like the mid-19th century. Yeah, mid-19th century in Russia. And these were composers that were dedicated to utilizing like western art music forms like the symphony like the opera uh, string quartets but infusing them with like uniquely russian sounds or authentically russian style and who else was in that group so rimsky korsakov was like the father the leader the leader uh cesar q q miley balakirev modest mazorsky and alexander brodin Exactly. Wow. In fact, they were so close that, you know, Borden wrote um, a very famous opera called Prince Igor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
I'm a stranger in paradise. I need to tell you yes. very quickly, I'm extremely impressed that you just rattled off all of those names actually off the top of your head. Ain't getting the PhD for nothing, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Naomi Baratera. All, Naomi Baratera. All but dissertated. <laughs> but, um, hey, so I actually had to answer a question about the Russian Five on my comprehensive exams. There you so go. There you oh, go. Nice. There but you so Borden died before Prince Igor was finished. Yes. Right? So it's incomplete. So it's incomplete. But Rimsky-Korsakov is the one that went through and, and completed finished it. it. And also, not Boris all Brent. of them were actually formally trained. Like, mm-hmm. Borodin was actually a chemist by trade, and he was like, composer ninja by night, chemist oh. by day. Oh. <laughs> Yes, and Mazorsky was also not formally trained, so he didn't ever go to conservatory. He didn't get composition lessons. I think he was like a civil servant, quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, and he drank a lot too, like and- um, Charles Bukowski. <laughs> sure, he was. He worked for the post office and he got drunk all the fucking time. Man. There you go. Yeah, but he wrote this amazing music, and Rimsky-Korsakov was kind of their leader. They were kind of like a like a special club. Well, the Rimsky-Korsakov get like really formal training because he, he did he did well so what happened was okay so he goes he was born in like 1844 right in russia um and his family was very wealthy mm-hmm. um but rimsky korsakov was just like i really love music this is my jam but this is not something that i can like do for a living it's just not done mm-hmm. he grew up in like um uh his family was all in the army so when he oh. became of age he joined the navy he was a naval officer for a really long time right this is amazing, by the way. I feel like we're getting like this great Russian composer history, and I didn't, I didn't even know that was going to happen. Russian music in the 19th century is so amazing. It's it is true. some of the best music ever written, and like the Russian Five were also very active around the same time as Tchaikovsky. And kind of the difference between them was that Tchaikovsky was trained in like Western classical music training at a conservatory. I think in St. Petersburg was where he was based out like, of. Like, later on. So what happened yeah. was, as, like, um, the kid of a wealthy family, he took piano lessons. And mm-hmm. I think the first piece he wrote, he wrote when he was, like, 10, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he loved music and wanted to do it, but decided that's not a thing that could really be done. So he um, joined the Navy. He joined the College of Naval Cadets in St. Petersburg. And while he was in St. Petersburg, he met um, a local teacher who sort of convinced him you should keep up these studies. If this is something you want to do, you should do it. Um, but he did have a career as a naval officer, um, and that really afforded him the opportunity to travel to many parts of the world that he had uh, never been to before. So it exposed him to a lot of these, like for him, like really exotic places, which served as inspiration for many of his orchestral compositions. Nice. Um, I would say the thing that people know well, there are a bunch of things that people know Rimsky-Korsakov for, but I think I would say like. Uh, Scheherazade, the orchestral piece. I love Scheherazade. That's Scheherazade. Scheherazade.
Uh, but, it's amazing because uh, it's like based on the Arabian Nights, right? And it's all yeah. about Shahrazad like telling tales to the king so that he doesn't kill her every night. Yeah. Oh, My favorite Shahrazad is the um, Ravel. Oh, yes, because there's a vocal line. <laughs> <laughs> There's some singing. And the singing. Scott Shahrazad is just the orchestra. Um, but I would say the piece that he's that everybody knows, whether they know it's Rimsky Korsakov or not, is the Flight of the Bumblebee. So Kyle, give us your best Flight of the Bumblebee. Do it right now. Oh. That's good. That's excellent. Like that. On the spot, folks. <laughs> On the spot. Well done. Right, so I'm pretty sure that Rimsky-Korsakov, one of his teachers was Glinka, right? Yep. Glinka's pretty important, but like in the generation before Rimsky-Korsakov. So he was really encouraging, but Glinka's not considered one of the Russian five. He's a little bit too early for that. Mm -hmm. This is, man, I hate to just keep on pointing it out, but I actually just yesterday was talking to a friend of mine from music school. And I actually was saying, like, yeah, I'd, to be honest, I don't remember much from my music history class, but I feel like now, <laughs> now I'm making up for it. I hope that a lot of people dark. feel that way. Like, this, music this is my actual music history education. Um, yeah. So Ramsey Korsakov was a naval officer for a number of years, um, and he started writing a lot of these orchestral compositions, and he sort of got a name for himself. He became, like, the leader of the mm-hmm. Mighty Five. And Is that why he's, like, a stuff. super... Is that why he's such a big patriot? Is because he well, was a naval I think officer? That, I don't know about that. I mean, I think the naval officer, the whole point of being in the Navy, it really sort of exposed him to all these different things that he never would have seen otherwise. Because he got to travel. Informed, like, because he got to travel and form, like, you know, or, uh, Orientalism in his music and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got a name for himself mm-hmm. as a composer of orchestral works, and so he was asked to join the um, the teaching staff at the – uh, conservatory in St. Petersburg, which is a big fucking deal, right? Mm-hmm. Dang. Considering he's technically Yeah, he did have like private lessons. And like private lessons, up. but not like formally trained. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He, one of his teachers also was um, Tchaikovsky. Oh, interesting, because yeah. like Tchaikovsky is uh. not considered at all as part of the the Russian Five or the Mighty Five. Like he's kind of separate because Tchaikovsky was actually very formally trained in St. Petersburg and kind of raised in the Western art music tradition. And so in a way, like the kind of very generic basic way of dividing them is that Tchaikovsky was much more aligned with kind of Western traditions and Mm -hmm. Western harmony and that type of thing. And Korsakov and the Mighty Five are considered a a formal break with that kind of thing. They were drawing on those forms, but they were really intentionally trying to infuse everything with an authentic Russian sound, which Tchaikovsky was not really trying to do or never said he was trying to do. Right. Right. But dates dates wise, all these people were alive generally at the same time? Their lives overlap. Tchaikovsky Mm -hmm. taught Korsakov at the conservatory, so he would have been a little bit older. But... But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So by all accounts, um, like Rimsky-Korsakov continued to to teach for the majority of his life. And by all accounts, he was actually this amazing teacher. And he did serve as the inspiration for people like Stravinsky to take what Korsakov had taught and shown him and like break with that and create something Mm -hmm. new and different. Right. And then he also, because Korsakov was this big teacher, people like Mazorsky 
Mussorgsky had almost no training, and so Korsakov often thought that Mussorgsky's orchestrations were a little bit rough, so to speak. Like, mm-hmm. he would use instruments in ways that you would you would just never do if you actually had formal training, because you would know a little bit more about what the instrument was capable of and kind of the legacies of what instruments paired well with each other and that type of thing. And so there's actually kind of a, a history of, of Korsakov taking Mussorgsky's works and sort of revising them or or finessing the orchestrations because they were a little bit rough. Did he work on Pictures at the Exhibition? There is a there is a Rimsky-Korsakov orchestration of Pictures at an Exhibition, but it's not the most popular one because okay. Ravel's, I think it's Ravel's okay. orchestration of it is much more popular. Um, but it's interesting to like listen to them back to back because I... If I recall correctly, Korsakov's orchestration of Pictures at an Exhibition, which is an extremely famous work by Mussorgsky that was actually originally written for piano solo. And then mm-hmm. after Mussorgsky's death, Korsakov and other friends were like, this would work great as an orchestral piece. Rimsky-Korsakov's orchestration of that, the opening features strings. And the opening is this really important theme that comes back again and again. It's the promenade. So it's like ba 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 and it's supposed to be like a person walking around an art exhibition. Right. Korsakov orchestrates that for predominantly strings, and then Ravel takes that same moment and orchestrates it entirely for brass. So it has a totally different feel to it. And that's the version that we know today and is performed most often is Korsakov's or is uh sorry Ravel's orchestration of it which features brass in the opening do we know why each of them picked up this same theme the pictures in an exhibition well because it's just an amazing work and so they both thought that it would be great for orchestra korsakov got to it first and wait but what's the what's the original work the original work it's It's called piano work called pictures uh, an exhibition and who's that by mazorsky modest okay Okay. one of the russian five it's awesome you should listen to it but since it's not by korsakov it's just orchestrated by him in some versions let's get back to the man of the hour so he's a great teacher he runs he's kind of like the figurehead of this group right he writes a bunch of orchestral shit um, and then when he gets married to um, not his piano student, although she was <laughs> she was a pianist. First um, time ever. They stayed married for their entire lives. They were like 28 when they got married. Everything's great, whatever. When he was in his 40s, he suddenly sort of shifted and um, became more interested in the theater as an art form and started writing a bunch of operas. Nice. I, at least personally coming into this, I wasn't aware that there was a golden cockerel opera but i had heard of the golden cockerel ballet hmm. is that is the famous golden cockerel ballet also rimsky korsakov yes <laughs> i think that is so the story of the golden cockerel um mm-hmm. is one of the last pieces that was ever written by a very famous russian author named pushkin of course um, of course eugene onegin right pushkin wrote mm-hmm. Onegin. um Coming, coming soon to uh, iTunes is going to be opera orchestration done in random. <laughs> Naomi and Elspeth sing vocal. random themes from operas. Um, 
just to wrap up Rimsky Korsakov, so he died in 1908. Um, I believe he had lung cancer. Oh, dang. <laughs> when did the opera premiere? So the Golden Cockerel, uh, Rimsky Korsakov wrote 15 operas. 15? 15 in his lifetime. The Golden Cockerel is, is the last, last opera that he wrote. And I'm assuming it's the most well-known. Uh, <laughs> um, he wrote another opera. Um, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I'm going to go for it anyway. A Snegorochka, which means the Snow Maiden, which I think is pretty popular. The Snow Maiden is very popular. I yeah. had no idea how to pronounce it in Russian, so I'm in awe. Of you in I know you could have just up. rolled with that, and I people wouldn't even know. The thing is, you got to commit to stuff, right? Even mm-hmm. if it's wrong, you just got to commit to it. Right, um, right. The Golden Cockerel premiered in 1905. Excellent, and then he also did the Tale of the Tsar Sultan, which has that beautiful aria from it. So actually, the Golden Cockerel, um, I misspoke, was written in 1907. Um, and the piece itself, we'll get into what it's about in a second, but um, it is a fairy tale, but it's sort of viewed more as political satire and a commentary on, like, the idiocy of the aristocracy. It's all about a czar and things like that. Um, the Golden Cockerel is a political satire. Um, it came right on the heels of the Russo-Japanese War, which was a big, humiliating failure for the Russian military. Jeez. Um, oh, uh-huh. So there's a lot of social unrest going on ra- around. So um, when the censors saw the libretto for this opera, they were like, "No fucking way! Um, oh, you have to dang. change. You have to change all of this." So Rimsky-Korsakov was just like, "I'm. There's no, no. way." And so when he when he died in 1908, they actually did perform it the year after that, and it was a really watered-down version. Um, uh. Since then, there have been many productions of it. The Met actually did it for many years up until about 1945. They did it in English. Oh. And hmm. then it sort of has fallen out of favor. I'm not sure why, because the music really is um, incredible. I feel like people shy away from Russian operas that aren't sung by Russians. but So he never saw it performed in his lifetime. He never saw it performed in his lifetime. He died before he saw it. We should probably look into sometime um, the popularity of certain Russian operas like before and then during and after the Cold War. Because yeah. I would assume. Yeah. yeah. No, I would assume fair. especially at American houses that during certain periods it was like a huge faux pas to do any kind of Russian. Yeah music for sure and even if you could get it done you probably mm-hmm. couldn't find people that could sing it in russian yeah yeah wasn't so. it wasn't it already during those times that like it was the artists that were always being accused of being communists or something like well, that? i feel like artists were targeted as co- communists you but mean in california i just mean in general in you america mean like the red scare yeah like i don't know like mccarthyism I really... is that what you're talking about <laughs> sure but i don't know a lot about it <laughs> So, <laughs> I, I'm making I think loose connections here. I think, it was, connections. I think it was one of those situations where it was difficult for any opera singers in Russia to travel to North America mm-hmm. in order to perform. Right. It mm-hmm. was probably not a very advantageous thing in the United States at that time to reveal that you could speak Russian fluently and therefore mm-hmm. sing Russian fluently. So I suspect, and this is purely, you know my own hypothesis that it was just all around difficult to find people to sing these things at this time and then, period. And then even if you did 
mount it, people would be like, why would we go see that Russian opera? Right. No, it's true. Yeah. yeah. So let's get into the, the plot of this. Yes, I'm please. Excited. I know nothing about this opera. Purely, so. I, I too. purely chose this because I am a 12-year-old boy and the word <laughs> cock is in the title, so I thought it would be funny. <laughs> yes. I'm so happy that... I wasn't the one that had to point that out. There is legitimately, for the record, it's not a metaphor. There is a golden rooster who figures prominently in this opera. Um, The the cockerel, the cock, the rooster, just Mm -hmm. so you know, is called Kirikuku, which is the sound (laughs) that it makes when it crows. Yes. Kirikuku. I guess in in Russian, that's the sound that a a rooster makes. Kirikuku. in Spanish, the sound is kikirikiki, which yeah, is very so similar it's a, to that. similar to that. Who Isn't knew, it so everybody? funny? Language Isn't is so weird. Right. How you hear that and you're like, no, no, no. Clearly, <laughs> clearly <laughs> a rooster says cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> Isn't that funny that you could say like, oh, that sounds so ridiculous, but cock-a-doodle-doo sounds right. completely normal. Um. So... This opera, uh, mm-hmm. the curtain rises and a character known as the astrologer walks out. He sings Ooh. a prologue. He also uh, is involved in the actions of the opera. He is a tenor, but it's like a crazy high, nice. crazy, crazy high tenor. Uh, uh, nearly, nearly a counter tenor. Basically, crazy notes all over the place. And he comes out nice. and he yeah. says to the audience, I am a wizard. <gasps> a wizard. Right. You're a wizard, Harry. Harry right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Actually, you sing that, and I'm going to read this over it. Ready? I, I don't know Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I can do it. The Harry Potter theme song. Bum, Get Kyle bum, to do it. Bum, 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 bum. I'm a wizard. I'm endowed by occult knowledge with rare gifts to call up shades and fill a new and lifeless breast with magic being. Here before you, comic masks will bring to life an ancient fable. Though a tale, the moral's true. Good young people, mark it well. So the astrologer leaves, and we um, open up onto a scene with uh, the czar. So the czar of Russia is there. Wow. Um, And he is having a meeting with all his boyers. Boyers are basically like um, lords. They're like, no, they're like lords. In the aristocracy, they're one step down from the czar, right? Nice. And so he's meeting with them because he needs advice on how to keep his kingdom safe from attack. And someone Attack from people, okay. people, people in okay, people in general, foreign For- powers, foreign powers. Yes, foreign danger. The czar's eldest son suggests that they bring the army back from the frontier and post it around the capital, and a lot of people support this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the general, whose no, who his name is General Palkin, disapproves of this plan, and then the czar's youngest son suggests that the army should be disbanded altogether and only mobilized again at the appearance of the enemy. Um, okay, that's clearly not going to work. And the czar is like, that's a fucking awesome idea. 
man. But then General Polkin is like, that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the Tsar is like, I don't really know what to do now. And so everyone suggests that the Tsar should consult um, like his set of magic beans. Mag- <laughs> wait, magic beans? Just go with it. Beans. Wait, wait. Beans, not beings. Beans. Beans. Yeah. Legumes. Like what you grow a beanstalk out of. Exactly. Right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Does the golden cockerel eat the beans? No, I'm just kidding. So then the astrologer that we saw in the prologue enters, and the astrologer (gasps) is like, Kyle, you got to sing. So the astrologer's like, hey, man, I have a golden cockerel, and the golden cockerel is magic. And a golden cockerel will always give you a warning when there's danger nearby. Nice. Um, and nice. the czar is like, that sounds dope, right? <laughs> Pretty. That sounds way that bomb. That sounds way bomb. Yeah. Uh, that's, the, that's the most secure system I've ever heard of. That's the most secure system ever. I trust it. Great. And the czar promises the astrologer any reward he likes. <laughs> and the czar says, your first wish I will fulfill like we're my very own. So the astrologer mm-hmm. is like, cool. So he leaves. <laughs> Sweet. The czar is like, this is great. So he goes to bed. He's like, I'm not worried about anything because I've got the golden cockerel. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes to sleep, has delightful dreams, and all of a sudden he's woken up by the, the golden cockerel who says, be on your guard. Someone's coming. Um, Wait, what, what sound does he make again in Russian? Kirikuku. Kirikuku. No, kirikikuku. 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 So Zara's oh like, shit is going down. So he going mobilizes down. two armies, and they march off to the scene of a war, and they're led by his his two sons. And then he's like, I've got it. We're all set. I'm going to go back to sleep. <laughs> um, I, I am okay. pretty tired, guys. So, uh, and he's like, I'm pretty tired, guys. This has been whatever. a long day. Right. Um, <laughs> so he goes back to sleep, but only this time his dreams are terrible. Oh, oh no. no. Um, and again, sons die. The so golden one of the sons cockerel, is going to die. I mean, they're both going to die, probably. Oh, I think, shoot. spoilers, we'll they definitely do. Um, <laughs> so, again, the, the the golden crocodile wakes him up, and he's like, there's danger, there's danger, there's danger. And the Zara's like, okay, I'm on it. So he gathers together a force, and then he goes off to war himself, accompanied by his general. End Wait, of Act 1. The golden cockerel goes to the war? Czar. Or the czar goes to war? The czar okay, is his general, okay. and a force that he is put together, cobbled together from the people that okay. are left. Goff to Okay, okay, I got it. Act two. So the czar um, is accompanied by his army, and he looks out into the field, and he sees the bodies of his two dead sons. Whew. Wow. So he, mora- he is horrified, and he mourns the death of his children. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, a mysterious tent appears before him. Ooh. A tent. A tent. Who comes out? 
the greatest woman ever. She is the queen of Shamaka. <laughs> hey, queen of Shamaka. She steps out of the tent. She sings a hymn to the rising sun. What does the queen of Shamaka look like typically? Like, if I want to dress as queen of Shamaka for Halloween, what would what would that entail? It's like really elaborate. I've seen a lot of productions where she is just in like. Lame, nice. <laughs> huge headdress, like nice. fantastic, like a drag queen. And is she supposed to be mystical? Yeah. Okay. Um, she's the queen of Shamaka. The czar sees her. I, I guess if she comes out of a tent that appears a mist- from nowhere. appears out of nowhere, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Right. Um, so the czar sees her and he's like, "You are amazing. The most beautiful thing, beautiful thing in the seen. world." And the queen of Shamaka is like, "Oh, it's the czar," and so she uses her wiles. And he offers her his hand in marriage, and she's like, yeah. Um, Even though, wait, does he already have a wife if he already has sons? No, she's dead. Oh, that's convenient. Convenient, mm-hmm. right. So the Queen of Shamaka and the Tsar go back off to the capital. They're engaged. Mm-hmm. Act three. Oh, wow. Quick. Yeah. Okay. Act Quick. two, yeah. So the people are awaiting the return of their Tsar, who then arrives with the Queen of Shamaka, or the... Um, Zaritsa, as she would be known in Russia. Right. Um, So they appear to the sound of trumpets, like that Jason Jason Derulo song that's my favorite thing ever. What? What What song? It's called Trumpets. He doesn't say his name in it, which is the only song he doesn't say his name in it. Oh, my gosh. That's Every time that you get undressed, I hear simple breathe. Knees in my head. I wrote this song just thinking of you. Oh, oh, oh. And the drums they swing low, and the trumpets they go. Yeah. I do know what you're talking about. I did not That's know. My favorite song to sing so when the Tsar and the Queen of Shanaka. Shamaka. Queen of Shamaka, they're coming into Jason Derulo. Jason Derulo's trumpets. trumpets. Yeah. Um, wow, I did not know those were the words to that song. Yeah, me neither. Now I know. Are you gonna? I was I like, is like it weird to- that you asked? Reminds me of a Kanye West song. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is exactly what a woman wants to hear. Exactly. I feel like. Um. So is anyway, there, is there a way? Th- is there a way that you can? Include Jason Derulo's trumpets into your wedding somehow. Oh. <laughs> um, I would love that. It is my favorite. Could you song. have it played? You know, he's really good at finding the pocket. Like it's almost a backbeat, but it's not. He's like in pocket when the verse, when like the chorus comes in. It's brilliant. Mm. Oh oh. Hear the drums, they swing low. Here it comes. The Tsar and the Queen of Shamaka enter. <laughs> How much longer can I play this before we get sued? <laughs> That's probably good. Yeah, it's Damn. probably good. <laughs> anyway, <Man>. so the people... <laughs> That is too good. That so is anyway, too they good. come in and the people are like, "Cool, we got a queen." Um, but who should appear but the astrologer? 
And the astrologer is like, hey, Zar. Yeah, keep going. He's like, hey, Zar, remember how you promised me anything that I wanted? Um, what I want oh, he wants the queen of Shamaka. Nice, nice. Well played. And the Zar is like, I don't think that's a great idea um and they start they start <laughs> bargaining and the czar is like i will give you half my kingdom but you can't have um my queen Dang. who apparently has no agency of her own um but the astrologer is like <laughs> no 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 and the czar finally loses his temper and they get into a tussle and he kills the astrologer <gasps> yes mm-hmm. defending his lady so pretty much he's cursed forever well guess who saw it and who arrives out of nowhere? The golden, the golden cockerel. cockerel. Golden cockerel. And golden cockerel's like, what the fuck did you just do? And he pecks the czar on the forehead and the czar dies. <gasps> he, wait, he pecks the czar to death? Yep. Yes. He pecks, pecks the czar to death. To death. How does is that, one Is that the worst that? opera death ever? <laughs> pecked to or death? Or the best. Pecked to death by a golden cockerel. Yeah. So the that golden needs to cockerel, be its own. generally, I think... Laurent Pelly did a production of it where uh, the golden cockerel was played by a dancer, but generally their vocal line is sung by like an offstage soprano, like like the woodbird. Gotcha. You okay. Know, in a, mm-hmm. What is that, Siegfried? I don't know. <laughs> Fucking whatever. Who cares? <laughs> um, so the czar mm-hmm. dies, and then the queen of Shamaka and the golden cockerel vanish. <gasps> into the air. So who knows if they ever really existed to begin with. And the people are left alone and like, what are we supposed to do now? They're totally disoriented and they say, what will the new dong bring? How will we live without our czar? And then there's an episode. Wow. I just want to say really quick, that's a little bit of foreshadowing because wasn't it only like 10 years after he wrote this opera that they got rid of the czar? They had like- the revolution, Yeah. That mm-hmm. was when the whole Anastasia Nicholas thing II. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anastasia. No, it was not too many. Yeah, maybe about 10 years after this. Coincidentally, not John Williams. But it does sound like it. It could be. But don't you get excited? Don't you get excited when you hear, Hi, don't. Me now, courage don't desert me. Don't turn back now that we're here. Yeah, anyway, I mean, so. I saw the show on Broadway. Okay, so. I did too. The show on Broadway together. Also, guys, on Broadway, the musical is kind of mediocre. Oh, that's not nice. I mean, it, I really it was, enjoyed it. It was it such was, a delight pretty good but i feel like you somebody that's going to see it should go in with mild expectations and then they won't be disappointed it'll just be like cool you know not so i don't know when have you ever gone into a broadway show with super high expectations and been like i was blown away spongebob squarepants (laughs) that i i went in with medium expectations and i was blown away because it's amazing (laughs) okay so what is this epilogue there's an epilogue the astrologer appears in the Mm -hmm. epilogue and he does the conclusion for the tale, and he tells the audience, can you do the... Yeah. That is how the story ends. But the bloody denouement, though distressing it may be, really should not worry you. Only I and the Tsarista were the real live people here. The others were delirium, a dream, a pale specter, a void. 
And that's how it ends. Dang. Wow. Nice. I like the storytelling. So it's like, yeah, plot. it's like yeah. um, sort of a political satire on like what is the point of also, the monarchy and who are these people who have just been born yeah. into making mm-hmm. like decisions for everybody and how do they have the right and that kind of stuff, which it obviously did not go down very well. <laughs> right, right. They were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not what we want to have happen. Right. Yeah, I could see where this would really lend itself well to a ballet because right. it's a lot of so dance and rooster. points. Can, can I just say like yeah. the pecking to death part probably makes for a very interesting ballet sequence. Oh. Like, yeah. That's got to be actually quite excellent on point, right? A lot yeah. of head movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pecked so, you dead. That is the golden cockerel. Well, thank you, Elspeth. You're welcome. What an insightful telling of... You can't play... No, there's no connection to to Jurassic Park. Well, dinosaur birds cockerel. are descendants, of, descendants, of, descendants dinosaurs. of dinosaurs. So it does sort of like all tie back to Jurassic Park. Sure, sure. Yeah, I could see that loosely. So... Sadly, the golden cockerel is not something that I feel like is done very often. I think, um, I bet it's done more in Russia. Santa Fe did it pretty recently, and then oh, they really? did it last year in Belgium mm-hmm. in is a it new, like, Laurent Pelly version. Um, that I don't know. There's probably yeah. several recordings of it. Yeah, we'll have to yeah. find something and put it on the blog. Mm-hmm. I mean, very it's nice. Rimsky Korsakov is pretty widely acknowledged as being super important in the grand scheme of music history. (laughs) Jeez. What are you looking up? Nothing. There was an ad. There was an ad. I'm sorry. Elspeth's watching TV during our recording of this episode. Keep talking. Just keep talking. What were you saying? Rinsky-Korsakov is pretty widely acknowledged as super important in the grand scheme of music history in the 19th century. Is that actual footage from <laughs> Jurassic Park? Wait, it's happening! Here it comes. I can't find like just a recording of it. What the fuck, internet? I I have to say that when I was a young Suzuki violin student, which played that a lot. Well, I remember my first experience playing in an orchestra and we played the Jurassic Park theme, and I was like, this is the most amazing thing that has ever been written. Yes. Because it's... Oh, my gosh. It's so emotional. A, and especially when it's, it's all on emotional. strings, like, and you're playing them and you're surrounded by all of them. Like, I thought I was... I thought it was the, the bomb. It was awesome. I did have a similar experience when I was in band in middle school mm-hmm. and played the trumpet. Of course you played the trumpet. What? What are you talking? Is that a, Are you calling me dumb? No, no, no. 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 But you seem like a brass player. You seem like a brass player. Denver played the trumpet too. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Every 
time that you get undressed. All right, so I folks. Bunnies <laughs> in my head. You know, before, before we descend any deeper into madness, I think we should sign off Wait, for you today's didn't episode. Wait, you did your story about middle school band. There wasn't too much to say. It was really just that we we also played that theme from Jurassic Park, and it felt like the most epic thing ever. It really did. I feel you. And with that, <laughs> and with that, we gotta get out of here. There's like a list of okay. How fast can I get through this? Please go check out the website operaafterdark.com. If you can, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Jason Derulo, uh, if you happen also, to listen to this, sure- I'm really sorry that I butchered your song. <laughs> That's appropriate. John Williams, uh, lastly, if you're listening to this, you're great. We love you. Yeah, I guess I should say I'm sorry for butchering the Harry Potter theme. No, I thought you did a really good job. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, in any case, you can find more shenanigans like this by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And we got to get out of here before anything else happens. So we'll see you next week. I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) It's for Instagram. Well timed. (laughs) That was a well-timed sound effect. I know.